Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, my curious cats. I am Diana Kander, and this is season two of Professional AF. Now, I'm a person who has way more courage than willpower. It's just the truth. And I had this list of 49 different things that I wanted to improve in my life, and I had just never gotten around to them. They were just one-day goals. So I started this show as a way to hold myself accountable and actually work through that list. What I've found is an entire community of people who are on similar journeys to grow, go for big dreams, and increase their impact on the world. And even though it's been a few months in season one, I have been hanging out with this community of nearly 700 people on Facebook each and every day in our professional AF Facebook group, talking about individual challenges that we're facing, celebrating big wins. So that's been tiding me over, but I'm just so excited to bring you a new season of amazing content. This season is going to be bigger and better in so many different ways, and we are kicking it off with a bang. Everywhere she goes, people ask Esther Wajiki for parenting advice, dinner parties, going to the store. That's because each one of her three daughters has a crazy awesome job. Susan is the CEO of YouTube. Janet is a professor at UC San Francisco. And Anne is the co-founder and CEO of 23andMe. And that's not it. Esther has been a journalism teacher for more than 35 years at Palo Alto High School, graduating some incredible people that swear by her method, including writer and director and actor James Franco and Jeremy Lin, a Harvard grad and point guard for the Atlanta Hawks. So what is it? What is this amazing methodology? Well, Esther has just released a book called How to Raise Successful People, in which she outlines a five-step process for doing this amazing work. I read the book and interviewed her about three months ago. And since implementing the methodology, it has radically transformed my relationship with my son. And what's more, I've understood that this isn't just a way to raise happy and successful kids. It's a method that you can take to work and have happy and successful employees. You can take these five steps and use them to improve any relationship that matters to you. So here they are. The five steps spell the word trick, T-R-I-C-K. They are trust, respect, independence, collaboration, and kindness. I can't wait for you to hear this really insightful conversation. And be sure to listen after the show to find out what happened when I interviewed my son on how Jason and I have been doing in each of these categories. Here's my interview with Esther Wachiki. Esther Welcome to the show. I am so glad to get a chance to chat with you. I love how you open the book by talking about how you were never really prepared to be a mom. I I joke with my clients that everything about corporate onboarding, uh, like your new orientation, is basically how to not mess the place up, like how to not get them into legal trouble. And there's no training on how to actually take the company to the next level or anything close to that. And I think parenting classes are just like that. They're like, don't shake the baby. Don't leave the baby alone in a car. Make sure the baby eats and poops. 
but nothing about how to raise a happy, confident, curious kid. You're absolutely right. That's one of the reasons why I decided to write the book, because no one there are no instructions. The only thing they do is they tell you, here's the diaper. This is what you do. Feed them every four hours, hug them, and then goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and nothing about how to raise valuable members of society. No. And so then what happens is you look around and you look at neighbor A and neighbor B and you try to figure out like, oh, what about their kids? Or you go online and look about, oh, there's so much conflicting evidence or so much conflicting opinion out there. So the question is, what do you really want to do with your kid? And you are confused. Is that why so many of us are so insecure about it? I just feel like it's such an easy thing to talk to other moms about. I just feel like we're all feeling like we're not doing good enough all the time. Well, I think that that's the reason is because everybody is looking at everybody else and they're not quite sure what the right path is. And now today you can find out all this information online. So it's much easier to see what the neighbor in Massachusetts is doing and the neighbor in Florida is doing and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, I'm not doing that. Maybe I should do that. So you're really insecure. And um, that's what I was trying to help everybody feel a little bit more empowered in this book. At one point in the book, you find yourself on a stage in front of 7,000 people debating the author of the Tiger Mom book, who doesn't believe in any of these things. She doesn't believe in free will or even happiness for children. Um, Can I just say, as you were describing it, my stomach went into a not just thinking about debating parenting styles, because I feel like this has got to be one of the most visceral topics for people. Like they feel very strongly like they're not sure if they're doing it right to themselves, but outwardly (laughs) they're very defensive about how they parent. So do you find yourself in frequent debates about these topics? Well, I do find myself in situations where the parent wants to know, like, why doesn't the tiger mom approach work? And I say, well, it does work to some degree. You want to give your child some structure. You want to provide opportunities for the child. But if you force them, like if you read the Tiger Mom book, you'll see that she did a lot of forcing, coercing her children into doing things that they had, they didn't want to do at all. And some of the coercing, from my perspective, looks like, you know, abuse. I mean, when you put a three-year-old child out in the freezing weather without a coat until they will play the piano. That is not something that I think is okay. As a matter of fact, it borders on abuse. So I'm very, um, I'm very concerned when I hear about parents that are doing things that are forcing kids to do things that basically they, they really don't want to do. They will actually cooperate if they know the why. And of course, there's occasions when the kids won't cooperate. And, you know, it can be in some situation dangerous. So those are situations where you just have to take authority. And um, that's why in that case, you are, you know, the authoritative parent, because, you know, you cannot run across the street now. The light is red. So things like that, they do have to be taught. But most of the time, if they know that they can be heard, if they know there's somebody there listening and somebody who's also willing to be on their side, somebody who treats them with kindness and respect, you know, they're much easier to deal with, much easier. What you're trying to do in the end is you're trying to bring up a child who feels good about himself. 
good about the world, feels that they can somehow accomplish whatever it is they decide as their goal in life. Because that kind of person tends to be at peace with themselves. As you get into the book, you say that step one of really understanding these five fundamental values, trust, respect, independence, collaboration, and kindness, is to take a step back and look at your own childhood and how your parents applied each of these five things. And to me, this was such a powerful exercise. And I really wished that I would have done it before my son was born. He's five and a half now. And in this kind of reflection, I also, like our whole life together, I knew that my husband and I had very different upbringings, but I could never articulate exactly how they were different until we went through this list together and kind of talked about what our parents did differently for each one. So I just wanted to thank you for that. Oh, I'm really happy that it worked that way. I think you did what I would like to recommend for all parents to do, to go through the list and think about how you were brought up and how each element of trick related to your childhood, because a lot of people did not have trick when they grew up. And there are a lot of people that are still overcoming their childhood. And there's many, many programs out there for people to try to help them overcome their childhood and feel good about themselves. And so it's great that you, you did that. One of the most valuable parts of the book is this discussion about anxiety and depression and how as a parent, we're quick to find things to blame. Like we blame social media and now smartphones, programming on TV, bullying in school. But you argue that a lot of student anxiety is actually caused by pressure that they get from their parents and the expectations that are put upon them. Can you break that down for me? Yeah. So this just last week, the students at Palo Alto High School they all graduated. It was, you know, typical graduation, but there was one very big difference. And every year for about 40 years, the student newspaper that I advise with my co-advisor, Rod Satterwhite, the two of us together, the students changed some very important part of the graduation. And that is they decided independently that they were going to get rid of something called the college map. And the college map showed where every student went to college after graduation. And if some kids didn't want to go to college, it showed, you know, the kids that decided to take a gap year or something. But the reason the kids got rid of this college map was because they said that it created intense competition between the parents. And the parents are the ones that were spending a lot of time reading the college map and then feeling very proud of their child that got into a Ivy League school and parents whose kids didn't were feeling not so great about their kid. But the parents actually never said that. It wasn't verbalized. But the kids felt it anyway. They could feel the pressure that there was from their parents all through you know, their high school years. And they were trying to get rid of this pressure that they feel about having to do what their parents consider the right path for them. So I think kids feel this, whether you verbalize it or not. They overhear your conversations. They, they know what your goals are. You know, they're really smart, um, smarter than, than you think. And that's what I say, actually, at the beginning of the book. That baby lying there in the crib, you have to change his diaper and give him all the food. They're smarter than you think. 
They're absorbing everything that you're talking about. Well, this is a really embarrassing story uh, for me to share, but my son started coming home from school saying things like, I don't like myself. I'm stupid. The teacher hates me. Uh, And just being like very melancholy over a period of several weeks. And my husband and I became immediately very concerned. And so we were like, okay, well, what's the reason for this? And so we started talking to his teacher. We asked our friends for advice. And it was, I mean, this was the reason actually I sought out your book. And it was only when we started looking at our own behavior and how we were doing things that we actually thought were just helping him, but we were hurting his morale in the process. So Um, We, you know, one of our challenges is him eating his breakfast on time before school. So we started setting up a timer where if he met the timer, he would get like a point or something great if he met expectations. So we thought we were creating a reward. But after a while, he was started missing the timer and just felt really, really bad about it. And we were like putting a lot of pressure on him to get out the door on time. And, you know, he was having every morning be one of disappointment. And when we changed the routine and started thinking about creating wins for him, his attitude changed like a hundred percent. He hasn't said any of those things since we changed the routine. And it's so incredible to me how those things that I didn't even feel were connected were very related to one another. Oh yeah. That's great that you figured it out because those are the kinds of little things. That's why the title of the book is Simple Lessons for Radical Results. It's really simple little things that you change in the pattern of behavior with your child that can make a huge impact. And it's really great to hear that you did that. I think that the most effective thing you can do really is this mastery system where, you know, the kid tries and tries and tries. I do it in the writing classes. That's how the kids all learn to be really good writers. They never get a grade until their essay or their article is done done means that it's ready to publish. And sometimes kids can revise five times and sometimes two times and sometimes 10 times, but there's no penalty. There's no, um, there's no problem. If it takes you longer, the goal is, can you get to the goal? And, um, and I always tell my kids, you know, some people, you know, they run around a track really fast and other people run around a little slower, but we all run. Right. So, um, That's basically what I say. And it works really well. And if you look at the publications, you'll see that the writing is outstanding. And these are 15, 16 and 17 year old kids who are writing better than most adults. And it's all because they are empowered and they know that no matter what, they can get there. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a different way to think about it that has very profound results. We tend to be self-critical. And then we tend to be critical of our kids without actually letting them know. But, you know, they know anyway, just like this timer with your child and yeah. you thought you were helping. They know, they get the message anyway. So if they're late to school, to be honest, you know, that's their problem. They <laughs> will, they, the teacher will say something and pretty soon they're going to want to be to school on time. And I think you need to put a lot more responsibility on them and yeah. give them that opportunity to control it. Okay. I was working my way through the respect section and I had a question about how do you teach kids to respect themselves? When you respect them, they respect themselves because the first person they're trying to please in when they're born 
is you. They, they want your positive feedback. And so the more respect that you give to them, the more they respect themselves. And then it builds on their self-confidence. What you're trying to do is empower those kids to be whoever it is they want to be and go through life being happy with their choice of whatever they want to be. So funny story. Uh, I tried to Google like how to respect your kids. And most of the responses were articles (laughs) that said like, do your kids respect you? How do you teach respect to your kids? And I feel like this is just such a foreign concept. Like it sounds really simple when you're talking about it, but nobody cares about that. They just want their kids to respect them. Why, why do you think that is? It's because they don't, I don't think they understand respect. They want their kids to respect them. Of course, we all want respect. People think that respect is like something you can just give, like, you know, a bottle of soda or something. <laughs> no, you can't. You know, it's something that you earn. And that's why you want to maintain that relationship. You want to maintain that respect because it's very hard to get it back when you lose it. So I did find one article um, in the sea of how to get kids to respect you. Um, I did find one helpful article. So let me know what you think of these suggestions. Uh, The first one was actually like very surprising to me. And it was ask them fewer questions. So rather than interrogating them after they get home from school, just tell them how much you miss them. Right. Um, You know, so that's exactly one of the things you should probably do is like, oh, you know, um, I missed you today. And um, let me tell you a little bit about what I did today. And then, you know, do you want to tell me about some of the things that were fun for you today or some of the things that happened at your school today? When you build up this this idea of sharing on a regular basis about what they do, I think it's good. Okay, help me understand how to extend more trust when your trust is violated. I feel like this is a really interesting part of the book, so I just want you to walk me through it. Oh, yeah, it's hard. So what you have to do, and it happened a lot, happens a lot in school. So, you know, you trust a kid to go to the bathroom and you find out that they didn't go to the bathroom, they went somewhere else. So then what I've always done is sit down and talk to them and talk about like, you know, I really want to trust them. I really like them. I am sure that they would not like it if I did the same thing to them. So why don't we start again from scratch and now I'll continue to trust you. Let's see if you can't maintain that trust. Um, So that's in school. And then at home, the process is similar where there's a lot of discussion involved. Um, it depends on how, what kind of trust is violated. So if a kid promises going to come home at midnight, you know, as a teenager and he doesn't come home till two o'clock in the morning, then I actually took some action as like, well, you know, that kept me, you know, on pins and needles for two hours. And, you know, I'm not really feeling very well right now. And so I want you to think about what you did. And, you know, I had them always writing essays. That was my thing, make about writing about what they did. And then, then I would put them in my position. It's like, what if we would switch positions and I promised you that I would pick you up from the shopping mall and I made you wait for two hours? How would you feel? And so I would try to get them to understand what they had done and why it was, was you know, difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I think you want to put the, the kid in a situation where they understand how their violation of your trust was hurtful to whoever extended the trust to them. Not just that they broke a rule. Not just that they broke a rule, but the question is like, why is there a rule like that? What is that rule doing there? Mm -hmm. Why do we have it? And how does it help both parties? Because most rules really, they are, they're there because they're trying to protect the rights of either one person or both people, or they're trying to facilitate our interaction in life. And so you don't want to, you don't want to break that rule because there's going to be somebody that is going to be suffering as a result of the fact that you broke the rule. Mm-hmm. Or, and so you need to explain it. Season two adds, Jason, welcome. I'm excited. This season, everything is different. Everything is going to be better. And that is because we have a completely different approach to the advertisers and sponsors on the show. We didn't just call a media company and say, who might want to advertise with us? I made a list of every product that I love to use religiously and talk about with my friends. And then I called all of those companies and said, would you be interested in advertising on our show? This has to be unprecedented in the history of podcasts. (laughs) It's got to be the only show that has ever done this. So you're going to hear about products you won't hear about on any other shows, but I vouch for every one of these products and use them all the time. I've seen the list. I'm really excited because this is stuff I talk to people about anyway. Yes, it's so easy to talk about the advertisers like the very first one, which we have been using for over a year. Now, these concepts of trick that we've been talking about on the show, trust, respect, independence, collaboration, and kindness, you can actually do all five in one monthly project from KiwiCo, a subscription service that sends a box of an activity, a super cool hands-on project for you to do with your kid to make learning about STEM or STEAM fun and exciting. That's science, technology, engineering, art, and math. There's a project that helps you build something cool and unique every single month. I love it when the little green boxes show up. And it's got True's name on it, so he gets super excited because he never gets mail, and it makes him feel really, really special. I've had lots of other products that are like, do this thing with your kid and you know, put this together. And what always happens is True says, should we call Uncle Jeff because my brother's an engineer? <laughs> um, but these things are like complicated enough that he learns, but not so much that I look ridiculous because I can't do it. This month, we put together a hydraulic picture frame. Now our kid says hydraulic and understands exactly what we're talking about. And he's so excited to show everybody who comes over to the house this thing that he built. And we get to talk about interesting concepts in each one of these categories. It is an incredible gift to not only give to your child, but to your relationship with your child. KiwiCo is a convenient, affordable way to encourage your children to be anything that they want to be. And there's no commitment. You can cancel any time. Monthly options start at $19.95 a month, including shipping. And for our listeners, you go to KiwiCo.com. That's K-I-W-I-C-O.com slash Diana to get your first free month. That's your first box that you can either gift to somebody else as a birthday present or enjoy with your child. You can cancel a subscription anytime, but you got to go to KiwiCo.com slash Diana to get your first month free. You're going to love these projects and your kid's going to thank you for it.
What I've learned from talking to Esther is that a lot of us inherited the way that we parent from our parents. That's where we got a lot of our style. And you know what? A lot of us inherited our bank from our parents, too. That's just a matter of fact. It's because they gave out Tootsie Rolls (laughs) and suckers and stuff. There is no other explanation for why the majority of Americans still bank with one of the top three big banks. There's no way you would choose those if you were out there looking today. This bank that we're about to tell you about is an online bank, but it's this bold idea where it's an online bank where you interface with real human beings. NBKC Bank is a digital disruptor that's actually helpful. That's one of their guiding philosophies to be actually helpful to their customers. And we actually use it. Diana has been talking about NBKC to anybody who will listen for months. <laughs> and so now I'm excited that she has a larger platform. Yes, to tell you about it. Mm-hmm. Where, what other bank will the CEO review and respond every single customer review online and every single glass store review from somebody who has worked there? There's no other bank like that. And there's no other bank out there that when a female member of the marketing team gets an award, like I saw one get from the women who mean business a few weeks ago, the entire executive team, the chief financial officer and the chief technology officer and the CEO all came out to support her because they are such a close knit team at NBKC that loves each other and loves their customers. And they made a web page just for you, which is cool. Okay, if you want to see what a different bank looks like, you have to go to nbkc.com slash Diana. You will know immediately that you're dealing with a place that actually cares about their customers. And if you scroll all the way down, you can open an account in just five minutes online. NBKC is an equal housing lender and member FDIC. We have to say that, but what we don't have to say is you got to go to the website nbkc.com slash Diana to learn about an incredible new bank. You're going to thank us for it. Okay, so my professional job is helping companies make their employees more curious and more innovative. And you have a statistic in your book that was just jaw dropping for me. And it said that by age five, 98% of kids have genius level creativity and innovative thinking abilities. By age 10, it's only 30%. And adults, it's 2% of us. That's right. Is there any hope for our adult population? And what do you think is the best way to give this childlike thinking back to our adults? I think it's the fear of failure. It's okay to fail. It's a, it's a, everybody's worried about other people and what they're going to say and what they're going to think. And so that's totally controls their behavior. So it's hard. It's really tough to change that way of thinking. And so I, I don't know what kind of seminars you're running, but I think these people need more than just one. Right. Okay. So (laughs) they, they need to learn it is okay to make a mistake, okay to be silly, okay to do all kinds of things that they used to do when they were five years old that now they don't want to do at all because they're afraid of what the guy next in the next cubicle is going to say. People are just, it's built in that if I do or say something, people are going to like, they're going to laugh at me. Right. And they don't, and nobody wants anybody. It's like, it's okay to be laughed at. And I mean, just look at that quote. You can quote what Steve Jobs said about the crazy ones. I'm sure you've heard that crazy one quote. Just quote Steve Jobs. 
You know, when I knew Steve Jobs all those years ago, when he was between companies, he had no problem telling me all these crazy ideas that he was going to do. One of them being he was going to have a phone in everybody's pocket. Let me tell you, in the middle of the 1980s, that was the wackiest idea I've heard. (laughs) (laughs) Because we all sat at home waiting for the phone call. That was it. And, you know, phones were big objects and they had to be connected to the house. And, you know, so basically what you want to do is tell people and give them the opportunity to do it because it's not just telling them, it's actually doing it that matters. Mm -hmm. And everybody's afraid to do it. Do you know what the number one regret is people have on their deathbed? What is it? Number one. They didn't do what they wanted to do. They did what everybody else wanted them to do. Mm -hmm. So let's not have regrets. (laughs) Somebody recently asked me what I'm doing to raise my son to be curious and innovative. And I said, I'm just trying to learn from him and how he sees the world and just not mess it up. Like, I just want to maintain, not even teach him anything. Yeah. Well, so one of the things in school, if, if kids don't, and the testing system really has to change. So kids can learn to do the things you want them to do, but then, you know, they're penalized if they don't do it exactly the way that teacher says or exactly the way that textbook says. And so that's why I've been promoting this 20% time in all schools, which is 20% of the time kids get to work on what I call a moonshot project of their choice. Mm-hmm. Because if they can just have a portion of the curriculum where they are remembering their creativity, it will last a lot longer than just 2% for adults. They'll remember there's this part of me that is very creative, and now I'm going to try to amplify that or try to use that in another way. That's really Um, awesome. So that's my goal for all schools, 20% time. And um, and so I'm building, hopefully, curriculum Mm -hmm. that will help teachers implement that. That's awesome. So another important topic that you bring up is teaching grit to children who live in comfortable surroundings. And as an immigrant who grew up really poor, I spent my 20s just being afraid of having kids who grew up poor. And now I'm in my 30s and I'm most afraid of having kids who are spoiled and don't have the same grit that (laughs) I did. So do you worry about that for your grandchildren? And and do you have any advice? So there's two two factors that um, help kids get grit or maintain grit. Well, number one, of course, is what happened with you, poverty, and what happened with me, you know, poverty. I didn't have a lot of nothing growing up. And so, you know, you had to be as inventive as you possibly could be because otherwise you couldn't get it if you didn't invent it. And so my recommendation for kids that grow up with a lot is don't give them everything. Mm-hmm. You know, allow them to have some things that they still want. I think it's important to let kids be creative in their play and give them that opportunity because that helps develop grit. But then the other thing that I think is really important in grit is allowing kids to have a passion. And they have a passion when they are given opportunities to explore and when they don't have to be doing something all the time that you have determined. So when they find something that they're interested in, no matter what it is, you can empower them to continue that interest. And then if they have a really strong interest in it, 
they will develop grit if they believe in themselves. If they trust and respect their own interests, then they will have grit. You don't have to develop any artificial experiences for them to have grit. They will actually have a lot of grit if they are really interested in something. I'm sure that you've seen kids that like are determined to do something that you might not want them to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of grit, right? Yeah. So you want them to develop that same behavior pattern for something that is okay for them to do and then encourage that behavior. And it can be, I mean, one of my granddaughters, she developed this love of something called slime. Uh-huh. I don't know if you ever heard of slime, <laughs> but I never heard of it and before. And it was literally everywhere around the house. And she was making it. Uh-huh. I am not kidding, making it. And I was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? But it turns out that a lot of her friends also like this. I was like, how about making a cake instead? You know, something we can eat. <laughs> nope, she wanted to make slime. Okay, you're going to make slime. So I actually even bought her the ingredients. I love it. To make more slime. Then she decided she was going to videotape herself making slime. So she set up her phone and she was videotaping herself making slime. And then she posted these pictures on a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is really creative. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I don't know the history of the rest of the slime. I just know we had a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked a lot about how parents might be giving their kids anxiety and depression through their extremely high expectations and control. But one of the other problems that you talk about is that we might be creating narcissists. So can you tell me why this is a growing problem and what we can do about it? Well, narcissism, everybody knows it's like a little bit of an extreme self-love of doing things that just matter to you all the time. And as opposed to worrying about what other people think, having no empathy. And so if you're in a situation where you are overindulging your child or you're helicopter parenting your child, where the way is cleared for them all the time, where they get everything that they want right away, then you're developing patterns of narcissism. And as they get older and adults, teenagers, you know, teenagers are really adult bodies with childlike minds, um, then, then you run into some real problems. And as adults, you know, you don't want the person to just think only about themselves and their goals and making sure that they get only what they want and not worrying about what other people are needing as well. So I think it's important not to overindulge not to do this helicopter parenting or whatever. I called it also snowplow parenting. You clear the way. It's not a good idea to always control everything and make it perfect for your child um, because life isn't perfect. You know, I don't know anybody's adult life that is perfect. <laughs> even if you have a ton of money and you're a billionaire, you know, your life is not perfect. Money does not equal happiness. And I've seen a lot of that around here, a lot of unhappy people. Because they have the misconception that consumer goods bring happiness, and that isn't true. So being in control of your life is a much better way to do it. What kind of reflection do you personally do to make sure that you're doing all of the trick values? Like, 
do you wait for evidence that you're not doing it or do you have some kind of check-in? Well, I just, you know, I actually created that acronym for myself too, because, you know, when I make, take some action, when I do something, I always ask myself is, am I really trusting? Am I really respecting this person? Am I doing, and especially Mm -hmm. with my grandchildren, you know, am I doing what I have said I should do and what I'm proposing to do in the book? And because, Mm -hmm. you know, every day there's something that comes up and every day I have to ask myself those questions. And just by keeping it on the conscious level, it makes a big difference, a big, big difference to my grandchildren and big difference to me. Um, and a big difference to my kids. And I have to do the same thing also with my children. You know, am I giving them the respect? And the, well, I'm, I trust them implicitly, but am I making sure that I respect all their opinions? Because as you know, if you're an adult, there's always something that doesn't, you don't agree with, with either your spouse or your parent or your friends or whatever. But, you know, just listening to another person and their viewpoint makes a huge difference. We all should be really good listeners. And um, sometimes that's all it takes is to be a good listener and to try to at least understand where they're coming from. So yes, I do it. (laughs) I was talking to my son about reading this book and how valuable I found it. And we actually created a really fun exercise. So on his birthday every year, we're going to go through each element of trick and he's going to give my husband and I a candid review of how we're doing in each one. And it's our ultimate customer feedback loop that we've decided. So I just wanted to thank you for giving our family this incredible opportunity to reflect and improve. That is such a great idea. I mean, I recommend that for all your listeners, everybody. That's such a great idea. Actually, you can go through it with your spouse. You can go through it at work. You can go through it with your friends. It's really great. Very smart. (laughs) So Esther, thank you so, so much for writing the book and coming on the show to talk with me. It was a real honor to get to speak with you. Well, thank you for including me and thank you so much. And thank you to all your listeners for listening to the podcast. And I wish everybody a lot of trick in their lives. (laughs) (laughs) How can they keep up with you and the next things that you're working on? Well, I'm going to start a newsletter and then they'll be able to keep up with that. And then also I'm hoping, as I mentioned to start something in the schools for teachers. But I think the newsletter might be the easiest way to keep up with me. Right now, I have a webpage. There's two of them. One of them is called raisesuccessfulpeople.com. And then the other one is called globalmoonshots.org. And they're just in the process of getting up to speed. But they're out there. They're just being worked on. Awesome. Well, I look forward to signing up and keeping in touch with all your progress. Thank you. The pleasure talking to you. Amazing, right? Here's how I use trick in my everyday life. This is my goal. I'm not always successful, but when I'm faced with a challenging situation at home, we're having a disagreement, something's just not going right. I go to my trick tool belt and I say, okay, which one of these five things am I going to use to try to fix this problem? Rather than going to my previous grab bag that included anger, frustration, and all kinds of other tools that were not super helpful. I hope you check out the book and get to know each one of these trick elements even better. And I did interview my son on his sixth birthday about how Jason and I were doing in each of these categories. And I definitely got feedback that was both surprising and helpful. I'm going to post the full interview in the private Facebook group for the show, Professional AF. 
Podcast Insiders. If you aren't a member yet, it's super easy to join and have follow-up conversations on each show, share professional challenges and your professional wins. It's an incredible community and it is only getting stronger every day. And please do check out our sponsors. As I said earlier in the show, we're attempting something that I've never seen done before on a podcast and proactively reaching out to the products and businesses that I already love. I'll put the links in the show notes and I can't wait for you to try these out and let me know what you think about them. I am Diana Kander with your weekly reminder that curiosity is your superpower. Talk to you soon.